0: T.L., and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. As we come to an end of Respect Life Month, I wanted to take one more opportunity and spend some time talking about our belief as Catholics in the dignity of the human person, and the implications that flow from that belief. We believe that God created male and female, created mankind in his own image and after his likeness, and that based on that fact and that fact alone, we as humans have incomparable dignity. And that dignity can't be blotted out or effaced in some way uh, by anything, not by our action, not by... Uh, some external force, not by oppression, that we are made in the image of God and have incomparable dignity. And because of that, uh, because our dignity isn't based on our innocence, it isn't based on our station in life, uh, because of that, we have certain beliefs that flow out of that, of how we should relate to to those around us, to how we should order a just society And all of that comes from this belief in human dignity. Last week, we talked a little bit with uh, Charles Beard about what it means to value the human person. Uh, If you missed that conversation, I want to encourage you to go over to our website, OutsideTheWalls.com, and listen to it, because it's a little bit foundational for us as we're continuing in that conversation today. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Charlie Camosi, who's an Associate Professor of Theological and Social Ethics at Fordham University. Uh, We've talked to him before. He's got some fantastic perspectives. And he's also got a brand new book called Resisting Throwaway Culture, How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People. One of the things I love about this book is made evident in the front cover as you look at those who have endorsed the book. And what I love about it is the people who have endorsed this book span the spectrum of um, ideological thought from conservative to liberal, from political to religious, and you will find someone in the front cover endorsing this book who you really appreciate their perspective, that that they resonate with you, that they're in your camp, and you're also going to find someone that you think is completely outside the camp, that they don't even belong here, and yet here they are agreeing uh, that there's some value in having these conversations of Uh, what it means to resist the throwaway culture. It can be so easy in our world today, and I'm going to just blame it on social media and the way that it has formed us as a society. We've been trained that all of our opinions are flawless, and that if anyone disagrees with that opinion, uh, we can block them, and we can get rid of them, and we can Uh, hide from them, and so surround ourselves completely with people who agree with us. And this ends up leaving us poorer because we no longer have the ability to be challenged and to grow. Uh, We no longer take the time to really wrestle with ideas. We simply build up and prop up our ideas with people who agree with us. And an idea that is not challenged and not wrestled with ultimately, even if it's a good idea, doesn't ever have the strength to be persuasive to someone else, right? Even if you have the correct opinion, if you don't have the ability to articulate it because you haven't wrestled with it, you're going to have a very difficult time in convincing the other person that this way of believing is correct. Now contrast that picture of hiding behind our own position and our own belief with that of St. Pope John Paul II, whose feast day we celebrated earlier in the week. Uh, I had a a priest over for dinner this last week, and he was telling me a little bit about when when Pope John Paul II came to his country for the first time. Uh, And he's from a country in Africa, and he said, you know, Pope John Paul II is the only pope who has, has gone to his country. And he says when he got off the plane he stopped where he was and he knelt down and he kissed the ground, which is customary. Uh, But he said the reason that he did it is because he wanted that nation to be blessed. So here the Pope enters into a country that is led by a dictator and he goes in and he speaks the truth, but he does so in a way that is not offensive. And he builds that nation up and he gives them hope and he gives them direction And a few short years later, that nation turns to democracy. And this is in large part because of the spirit with which Pope John Paul II entered and and operated. You see the same thing happening in 1979 when Pope uh, John Paul II also went to his home country, to Poland. And out of that, out of that visit and out of that hope, uh, without being... Uh, abrasive or confrontational he gives the people hope and they band together and rise up and it directly contributes to the fall of communism in the soviet union uh to the fall of the the berlin wall and it's all because here is a person who has a deep and profound respect for the humanity of the people to whom he is speaking and Out of that deep and profound respect for their humanity, he then treats them as if they are people worthy of respect. And he gives them hope and he gives them spiritual encouragement and he prays for them. And out of that, they are enriched as a people and you see growth and change occur. This is the challenge for you and I. And it starts with that profound, deep respect for the dignity of the human person and everything that flows from that. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today as we talk with Dr. Charlie Camosi from Fordham University about this consistent ethic of life, this deep respect for the human person and all the implications that flow from that. We're going to talk about his new book, Resisting Throwaway Culture, How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People. That's available on New City Press. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to hear from you. Be a part of that conversation. There's much more to come right after this break. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., And here we are at the end of October, the end of Respect Life Month. Uh, In that process, I wanted to spend some time talking about the dignity of the human person and and why the church highlights this at this time. Uh, To help us explore that a little bit, we're talking today with Charlie Camosi. He's an associate professor of theological and social ethics at Fordham University. We've had him on before talking from everything about uh abortion politics to um to adoption to much more you can find other episodes with Charlie by going to our archives over at outsidethewalls.com Dr. Kamosi thank you for joining us today
1: Great to be back on the show
0: So you this new book um Resisting a Throwaway Culture How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People uh, I don't think it takes much effort or much observation to see that our society is really fractured uh, largely along liberal and conservative lines, but both in the theological and the political. And we just kind of push everything into those two categories and basically judge whether or not a discussion is worth having based on whether or not we feel it fits with what we see either as, as our camp or whether it's that other camp. Uh, And your premise is that simply by having a consistent life ethic, we can actually undo some of that fracturing and and build some harmony where harmony currently doesn't exist. So uh, how, how do you see this happening?
1: Well, let's go back to the premise, right? That we exist across this fractured right, left divide. I try to show in the book that while our kind of elite media and those who are in the intelligentsia kind of see things that way, if you just look at ordinary folks, the study uh, the studies in fact studies plural shows that we really aren't like that so we have now 44 percent identify as independent neither democrat nor republican Republicans and Democrats are about 25 26 percent respectively so we're, we're really not like that and in fact if you there's this great study called hidden tribes which shows that two-thirds of people even if i they, they do identify as democrat or republican aren't in this hyperpolarized, ideological, hate the other place. And so I take that as a hopeful starting point for the book and saying, you know, people are sick of this. Mm-hmm. This is the left-right divide of the culture wars of the seventies and eighties. I tell my students at Fordham, you know, these are this is the ideology. This is the lens of your grandparents. You know, this is an old ideology. It's time for something new. It's time for something better. And I believe the church has it. I, I mean it would be very strange for us to the churches uh teaching on these matters mirrored u.s american politics from the 70s and 80s it well, doesn't it turns out
0: and i would say before yeah. we before we throw my grandparents under the bus <laughs> that <laughs> that the um this this dichotomy that we see today the fracturing that we see today is maybe the logical result of what they started but i don't recall it ever being quite this uh, ferocious maybe in the political uh sphere when when uh the season, you know, election season was in full swing, but it certainly wasn't across the board all the time around the calendar year quite as fierce as we see it today. Uh, and so, you know, I look at at that and say maybe it's not even our grandparents, but it was a tool used by the intelligentsia and by the the political system because it works. If we get people upset, uh, then then they're going to donate and they're going to uh, help us rally to the cause. Uh, and so, you, you know, I even watched the, um, the fundraising letters come in from various nonprofit organizations saying, we need your help now to defeat this thing. And there's every month that's a new crisis. And so it's almost the sense of, Hey, we see our grandparents, uh, my grandparents rising up to, uh, to meet a challenge when there is a crisis. So let's just give them a crisis all the time.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess I'd say two things in response to that. First, I do think I want to uh, name the left-right culture war approach as problematic on, on its own. So mm. it, it, things were always more complicated than um, there were the bad people ushering in you know, the, the, the new revolution and those conservative fuddy-duddies who want to hold on to old, outdated ideas. So everything was much more complicated than that, even in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. but now uh it's even worse because the uh social situation that existed back then doesn't apply anymore the questions the presuppositions the culture is so different they're so different and then as you rightly point out uh this left right binary dichotomy is used by those who can benefit from it and and they're they're keeping it on life support because they benefit from it so They get to turn everyone against the other side, quote unquote, especially around this time of year as we're coming up on a general election to raise money, you know, to marshal the ground troops for the culture war again. Um, But this is a deeply unhelpful, especially from a Christian and, and in my case, Catholic perspective, just a very, very strange thing for Catholics and Christians to, uh, to hold because it doesn't fit at all with the teaching of the church. Mm
0: -hmm. So let's now turn the lens a little bit and talk about how the church has a solution that can actually undo some of this fracturing.
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, at respect life month, as you mentioned, uh, the dignity of the person is super important to keep at the center of everything that we're talking about here. So the dignity of the person, um, you might say, has at least two senses, the kind of individual sense in which every person is made the image and likeness of God and has um, inherent dignity that cannot be morally um, overturned, as Pope Francis would say in the throwaway culture, turned into a mere object or thing, especially with violence and death. But then you also have our duties to the human person in a community of people and how to respect Uh, persons and their inherent dignity when we're in relationships with them, either as our family members, our our literal neighbors, our neighbors in a broad sense, our fellow parishioners, our fellow community members, state, nation, world. Mm -hmm. And the church has a lot to say on both, right? About how to respect both senses of the dignity of the person, the individual, and the relational. And there is, and that's in some ways where the dichotomy comes from. So, some conservative. Folks end up focusing more on the individual, and some, for lack of a better way of saying it, liberal folks tend to focus more on the relational. Mm-hmm. But Catholic teaching refuses to make a distinction between the two and says, "What it means to be in uh, in in defense of life uh, is also what it means to be in support of life. It's not just a defense of life from violence, but also a support of life uh, so that life can flourish."
0: Now, you mentioned in your book um, the the first modern example of this, this formulation of consistent life ethic comes from Colonel <clears throat> Cardinal Bernardine. And I know depending on again, what side of that uh, dichotomy you find yourself, that name is going to right. evoke some very specific uh, assumptions and uh, really categorizations of how you view what follows. And so I know uh, I come from a fairly conservative area and I know that uh, there tends to be maybe some skepticism of, of the seamless garment uh, because there's a view that somehow it lessens the importance of those things that we see as big issues. Uh, how would you respond to that?
1: Well, first of all, let me say I deeply appreciate the concern. And when I wrote the book and when I give my public lectures and, and when I teach on this topic, I am hyper aware of that concern. And it doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from a place it's a reasonable place because there have been people, especially, again, for lack of a better way of saying it, on the left who have used the consistent life ethic to try to marginalize abortion or make it seem as just another issue. You know, you're you're, you're voting for your school board members and you're voting for abortion or something. It's, a, it's the same thing. Well, no, it's not the same thing. Abortion is far and away the most important issue of our day and we should not take our eye off the ball. That said, Cardinal Bernadine also thought the same thing. And I quote him at length in the book showing that he thought the right to life as it was under threat and abortion was more important um, than other kinds of issues that are in the consistent ethic. But let's let's be, uh, I think this is an important historical note. When he in, quote unquote invented the ethic, um, which I think is just Catholic teaching, by the way, mm-hmm. he was comparing abortion and nuclear, the threat of nuclear holocaust at the time. So he gave a talk at my uh, the, the university that I teach at, actually at Fordham in the early 80s, when, as you no doubt remember, pretty much everybody was, was was uh, worried that we'd have large scale nuclear conflict with the Soviet Union and millions, tens of millions might die. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's it's hard for maybe especially some young people to imagine what that felt like at the time. But that was the people were really scared of mass mass slaughter at the time. So and of course, Roe Ro versus Wade had recently happened, too. So he was trying to say, listen, there are some important connections to make between these two issues about why we'd want to resist both. And then he moves out from there and says, yes, and these principles also go to these other issues as well. And so that let me just name that and then quickly name one other important factor. Um, Cardinal Bernadine wanted people to resist abortion at the highest uh, level possible. And he thought, and I agree with him, that this is the best way to do it. When we meet skeptical people, when we meet people we need to evangelize on this issue and help change their minds to see the vulnerable who are under threat from abortion, both the prenatal child and the mother who bears the prenatal child inside her, we need a a strategy that will welcome them into the conversation that doesn't turn them off immediately. And for my money, and I think the experience of a lot of other people bear this out, if you can show that you're consistent on these principles on issues they care about, Mm -hmm. then it's much easier to have that conversation about abortion with them and, and help change their mind.
0: Uh, beyond that, even though I, I think of, and we mentioned this before we started our conversation, uh, I look at the the story of the Sermon on the Mount when Christ was preaching and he said, we all agree that, that murder is bad and murder is awful. Um, but I say that even if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. So he's not trying to lessen the, the, the perception of murder Rather, he's trying to say, I'm going I'm to one-up you, and I'm going to say that this other thing is foundational to uh, murder eventually, right? That we have to treat this as a very serious thing. And I see in some ways the consistent life ethic also doing that, saying that I care so deeply about abortion that I also care very deeply about all the factors that contribute to abortion and lead to abortion. And so I'm going to treat those with just as much fervor as I treat the specific topic of abortion. And so that's where we get into uh, pregnancy centers and we get into uh, how we as a a nation treat mothers, whether we support them, whether we, uh, you know, one of the things I know that you've tried to champion is paid parental leave uh, and all of those things, which ultimately are tied to abortion in a very specific way.
1: Right. And we could go further and say, you know, two thirds of abortions take place for people who are either either in poverty or poverty adjacent. Mm -hmm. Uh, A very high percentage, especially in this part of the country, Um, but not only in this part of the country are women of color who face systemic discrimination based on their race, not only in the area of reproduction where plant parent and other abortion clinics set up shop in their neighborhood specifically to exploit them, but it, but they face they face that same kind of explicit or structural racial injustice throughout their lives. And so when when we when I talk to people who are skeptical of the pro life movement, if I can show them, hey, guess what? I care about poverty. I care about racism. I care about gender equality on these other issues. Right. It becomes it becomes that much easier to say, you know what? There's this other major issue, in which these are also connect, to, which these are also connected, and you really ought to think about that as well.
0: We're talking today with Dr. Charlie Camosi, Associate Professor of Theological and Social Ethics at Fordham and author of the new book, Resisting Throwaway Culture, How Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People, available on New City Press. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break. So join us over on social media and be a part of that. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, D.L., and we're talking about respect life this month as we're coming to the end of that. Uh, and today we're looking at what it means to respect life writ large. We're talking with Dr. Charlie Camosi, who's an associate professor of theological and social ethics at Fordham University, author of a brand new book, Resisting Throwaway Culture, How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People, available right now on New City Press. Uh, I've I've got a copy of it in front of me. I've read through uh, as much of it as I could and and will be continuing that here soon. Um, I encourage you to go take it and pick it up because we are coming up on an election cycle and uh, things get a little bit um, raucous during this time of the year. And one of the things that I think is so important is to be able to break out of the echo chamber and to break out of the the defined talking points of a conversation and to be able to engage in conversation. Last week, I talked with our guest a little bit about how breaking out of those norms actually gave me a better chance to engage with the person I was talking to and actually got us to a place where both of us ended up changing our mind and, and both in small and large ways. And that's the only way that we can go about healing that fracture is to begin to have these personal conversations. And so this book is a great resource uh, to help you navigate those conversations. Dr. Camossi, thank you, one, for writing it, and thank you for joining us today on the show.
1: Yeah, I'd also note that New City Press is an apostolate of the Focolare. So the Focolare, as you may know, is a a Catholic lay group under the auspices of Rome officially, and they are totally into this kind of dialogue, which is why I wanted to write it for them. So if, if your listeners are interested in even more resources for dialogue, the Focalari might be a group they want to check out as well.
0: So this is a book that you, you have been working on for a very long time. It's been kind of kicking around in your head. Um, Why don't you, can, can you share with us an, an example of one of these conversations that you had uh, sometime in your life that changed your mind on on a very foundational and essential point that you now hold
1: well uh probably the most dramatic example is uh my ongoing uh fairly extended and and ongoing conversations with a philosopher named peter singer at princeton Mm -hmm. i i I originally just loathed him almost unconditionally as something (laughs) close to the devil because of his views on abortion and infanticide and i uh, for, for your listeners that don't know, Peter Singer very famously, and I think admirably in some weird twisted way, follows his views on abortion all the way to his views on um, uh, uh, infanticide. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when a lot of pro lifers point out, hey, guess what? You know, a lot of what we're talking about on abortion applies to the neonatal child, the newborn child, not just the prenatal child a lot of our the people we debate with say you know i'm i'm pro choice on abortion but not for infanticide right peter singer goes the whole hawk right and says you know what i guess i guess i'm pro choice for infanticide too there's really no distinction to make between different kinds of human beings i acknowledge he says the prenatal child is a human being but so is the postnatal child but i got to tell you in my interactions with him I've been changed uh, quite profoundly and I think I've changed his mind too so he no longer talks about infanticide nearly as much as he used to he was it turns out through our conversations he was much more interested in protecting what he saw as the dignity of non-human animals and he saw pro-lifers as being antithetical to that uh, and I showed him you don't need to go all the way to infanticide to to, to take that position mm-hmm. and he showed me that uh you know, the, these are important, and I have a chapter in the book on this, that even though the most uh, disabled, the youngest human being human being around matters more than even the most sophisticated animal, I think pro-lifers ought to take animal protection seriously. There's an there's a interesting overlap about <clears throat> violence and care for the most vulnerable, those who can't speak up for themselves. And uh, he convinced me to look at my own tradition, for thinking about that question and it turns out that the catechism and other resources have quite a bit to say about that so um, and to finish this point I think I convinced him he really needs to get um, the Christian churches on board with his animal protection project otherwise it has no no chance of actually working mm-hmm. so we uh, to, to put a cap on the point we we've had extended discussions I'm debating him on abortion coming up next month at Princeton uh, we continue to disagree but I think we've engaged in a kind of dialogue where we've actually changed our minds
0: about things. And this is, uh, you know, exceptionally important because while we're talking about consistency of views, it also shows how important our smallest premise can be Uh, because here's someone who has a very consistent view of of the world uh, and comes to the opposite conclusion than than you do on abortion and takes it all the way to its truly logical uh, extreme. And so I think it's important for us, even who are not excellent philosophers, to say, even my smallest belief has implications and really should matter. So I should form myself well.
1: And, and I, I don't know what your listeners' experience with this will be. But when again, I, I'm hyper aware of trying to make converts of people who don't um, have the views uh, about human life that really respect human dignity across the board. Um, my experience in discussing abortion is bringing Peter Singer up helps because he does take their positions and follows them to their logical conclusions. And I basically say in many of my discussions say, you know, I know this really good philosopher at Princeton. He has your view, too, but he also applies it to infanticide. He thinks it fo- that's what follows from your view. Do you agree with him? Hmm. And if they don't, <laughs> it becomes pretty easy then to walk that back and say, well, if you don't agree with him about infanticide, your views about abortion probably ought to change as well because they follow directly. And it's a whole new conversation.
0: Now, Dr. Camosi, as you uh, have written this book, and we're talking about the the whole life ethic, the consistent life ethic, uh, you've got everything in this book from uh, cultures and how they view sexuality, uh, reproductive bioethics, abortion, the poor and the stranger, as you mentioned earlier, ecology and non-human animals, euthanasia, state sponsor, violence, and more. Uh, all of this stems out of the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, so long as we take those to their extreme. So let's talk just a little bit as in these last few minutes about um, how this view and how living out a, a life as if we are serving Christ and as if we are representing Christ uh, this life of hospitality, how that maybe touches on everything and how that can change our lives in the small details as well as the large?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, um, I try to set up Pope Francis's uh, skepticism of throwaway culture, again, where uh, everything, including people, are often turned into things and then discarded, often violently, With contrast that with a culture of hospitality and encounter. Where uh, we are instead of uh, using words and phrases and engaging in practices which cause the vulnerable, vulnerable and voiceless to simply be discarded and thrown away, where they're encountered and, 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 and we seek them out and, and have a genuine encounter. And then upon encountering them, offer true hospitality. I think one way to think about this, especially with regard to sex and sex cultures, which is the uh, chapter I open with is with just simply welcoming children as a gift from God, which I know with your eighth child just born, you are doing exceptionally well. Um, we have a 16-month-old at home and three other children, and we're, we're trying to do our best in that area as well. But then there's beyond sex and sex cultures and reproductive biotechnology, There's there are so many other areas where we could think about a genuine culture of encounter uh, and hospitality being the antidote to throwaway culture. So when we think about Jesus's command to visit the stranger and or visit the uh, prisoner, right? Um, I have a chap I have a chapter in there on state-sponsored violence where I focus a lot on mass incarceration. Uh, if we think about um, again animals, if we think about animals as being simply discarded in factory farms, or if we're going to respect them as the creatures God gave us, having genuine encounters with them, uh, you know, living on smaller farms, not the big factory farms, having pets, rescuing animals. Um, I think that's super important. I think in our sexual cultures we have a hookup culture where uh, the whole point is to not have a genuine encounter, not uh, be a um, you know somebody that's uh, engaging in the hospitality for the other, but instead simply use the partner as a means to end and then discard them at the end of the sexual act. But of course, the church calls us to a very different sexual ethic—one of encounter and hospitality, where we welcome the person in their fullness into our lives, which is, of course, only a good idea if you're married to that person where you can welcome them in the fullness of what a sexual encounter is supposed to be. So there's just so many different areas where um, the resistance of throwaway culture, which is in the title of the book, is to be met, in my view, in my read of Pope Francis anyway, with, you know, encounter and hospitality at the end of the day.
0: And I think that this is also a big challenge for us because it it means that we have to examine how is it that we uh, that we use the things that are around us. Uh, obviously, we we need to move to a place where we don't use people as objects, but we encounter them as persons. But beyond that, uh, the things that I do consume as a uh, as a member of society, um, what's my responsibility level in that uh, in terms of? how not only how the earth is treated because we are stewards of the garden, just like Adam. Uh, but beyond that, uh, how do I interact with, uh, with the, the economy? How do I interact with the, the things that I own and am I doing those in a way that reflects my Christian belief?
1: Yeah, it's tough because everything, almost everything that uh, is pushing in a particular direction today is pushing more towards a a impersonal disconnected throwaway culture of consumerism. And the church of course has a, has a command uh, that resists that to us. And the command is to love one another as I have loved you, the the command of Christ Mm -hmm. and Christ encountered, um, uh, especially those in the margins in ways that were scandalous for his time. And, I don't know if we have a similar kind of culture or what it would be like, but you, I, we we can both now press a single button on our smartphone. And sometimes hours later, a package shows up at our door. We have no idea who made it. We have no idea who brought it to us. We have no idea what workers were paid. We have no idea what the impact on our ecological world was. We have no idea about almost anything other than it's now at our door mm-hmm. and what we paid for it. And what I try to do in the chapter on especially the poor and the stranger is say. Let's try to uh, create a culture of of economic encounter, where instead of just pushing a button on our smartphone, we actually go and we do meet uh, the people who made the product, who served the product us, the people who are responsible for the company which produces the product. just have as many encounters as we possibly can and learn as much as we possibly can about how that product is coming to us. And so instead of leading this disconnected life facilitated by, a smartphone, and and I, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm guilty, I'm not, I'm not holding myself up as the paragon of virtue in this area, but I'm trying to work on it too, instead of just kind of lazily doing the thing that our consumer throwaway culture pushes us to do, make the effort to actually encounter our brothers and sisters uh, in the process, and, and in that process, I think we'll be um, much better at living out our Christian faith throughout all of our economic decisions because we'll have information about who this is affecting quite directly.
0: We've been talking today with Dr. Charlie Camossi. Check out that new book, Resisting Throwaway Culture, How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People. Dr. Camossi, thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: Right after the break, we're going to hear a reading from the Book of Romans and from Pope St. Clement I. They are encouraging and challenging readings. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outsidethewalls. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., we talked today with Dr. Charlie Camosi, who's the Associate Professor of Theological and Social Ethics at Fordham University. He's got a great new book out called Resisting Throw Away Culture How a Consistent Life Ethic Can Unite a Fractured People. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You go there, this episode will be right at the top of the page here by the end of the day. Uh, And you can share it on your social media. You can listen to it as many times as you want. You can even subscribe so that you never miss an episode if you happen to be away from your radio. As always, there's more to my conversation with Dr. Camosi than we had the time to air here today. And you can catch the rest of that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a little link that says, Support the Show, Patreon. And all of those who help keep us on the air get these extra segments each and every week. This week, however, I'm giving it to everyone because it is such an important conversation. So you can find that. I want to invite you over whether you've ever supported the show through Patreon or not. Why don't you go take a look today? Download that extra segment. It's about 10 to 12 extra minutes. It's well worth your time. And consider whether or not you want to help keep us on the air week in and week out. For as little as $5 a month, you can join the community that helps us do that and get new segments, extra segments, each and every week. Well, as we move on, I want to pose to you a question. Is it possible to be both right and wrong? Well, I think that our readings today are going to lead us to the conclusion that the answer is yes. It's possible to hold a correct belief and a correct opinion, but to do so in a way that leads us to pride. And this is where we find ourselves in many of these contentious arguments is not so much that we are even arguing over what is right and what is wrong, although we may have convinced ourselves that that's the case. But very often we are fighting over our own need to be right, and for everyone else to see that we're right. And our readings today challenge us in that regard. Uh, We start with the book of Romans, chapter 8, and Paul says, Brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. For what the law weakened by the flesh was powerless to do, this God has done. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for the sake of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous decree of the law might be fulfilled in us who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh are concerned with the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit with the things of the Spirit. The concern of the flesh is death, but the concern of the Spirit is life, and peace. For the concern of the flesh is hostility toward God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the Spirit, if only the Spirit of God dwells in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. That reading comes from the book of Romans chapter 8. And here's what sticks out to me today. We have this great hope in the resurrection We have this great hope that the righteous decree of the law might be fulfilled in us who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Ah, here's where the challenge comes. We have to look at ourselves and examine our consciences and ask the question, am I living according to the Spirit or according to the flesh? And it's not so easy an answer as you might think, because our our heart is for Christ right? You can have an absolutely proper desire and to still fulfill it incorrectly, to still fulfill it in the flesh. Because when we contend in these contentious topics, are we doing so in a way that brings glory to God or to ourselves? And so here is a way that you can be both right in the the belief that you hold, but still potentially wrong in the way that you express it. And this is a challenge to you and to me for us to be aware and to intentionally center ourselves on Christ. Uh, The reading from the gospel tomorrow, this Sunday, is the one who humbles himself will be exalted, but the one who exalts himself will be humbled. So we have to continue and persevere in humility. And in doing that, God will be able to use us to bear fruit. Our reading from Church History comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. Let us put on the unity of mind, thinking humble thoughts, exercising self-control, keeping ourselves far from all backbiting and slander, being righteous in deed and not in word only. Scripture says, He who says much hears much in his own turn. Or does the easy talker think that he is righteous? It is our duty then to be eager to do good, for everything is from God. He warns us, See, the Lord is coming, and the reward he brings is before him, for paying each according to his work. He urges us who believe in Him with all our heart not to be idle or careless in any good work. Our boasting and our confidence must rest on Him. Let us be subject to His will. Let us look carefully at the whole host of His angels. They stand ready and serve His will. Scripture says, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before Him, and a thousand thousand served Him and cried out, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole creation is full of his glory. We, too, dutifully gathered together in unity of mind, should cry out to him continuously, as with one voice, so as to share in his great and glorious promises. It is written, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, Man's heart has not conceived what great things have been prepared for those who wait for him. Beloved, how blessed, how wonderful are God's gifts! Life with immortality, glory with righteousness, truth with confidence, self-control with holiness. All these are the gifts that fall within our understanding. What then are those gifts that are in store for those who wait for him? Only the most holy creator and father of the ages knows their greatness and their splendor. We should then strive with the greatest zeal to be found among the number of those who await him, so that we may share in the promised gifts. How will this be, beloved? if our mind is fixed on God through faith, if we are diligent in seeking what is pleasing and acceptable to him, if we fulfill what is according to his blameless will and follow the way of truth, casting away from ourselves all that is unholy. That reading today comes to us from the letter to the Corinthians by Pope St. Clement I. And there in that last paragraph, he gives us what we need to help us examine ourselves and to evaluate and to avoid that, that falling into the sin of pride, even as we are attempting uh, to, to uphold the truth, right? Uh, and this is how we avoid it. We avoid that pride through humility and through docility, through humility of recognizing that uh, it's not my job, to uh, to correct the world, and in fact, I am unable to do that. I man, I used to be on social media, and I would get into shortly after we were converted, and, and I would get into these really long, drawn out, and sometimes uh, really frustrating and intense conversations with people about the faith, because I felt like I had to defend everything. And over time, I began to see that those tense conversations were not helping another person come to see anything about the truth, even though I believe that the Catholicism that I came into is truth, my presentation of it was more about my ability to be right than it was about wanting them to see the goodness and beauty of the church. Sure, it always started out that way, but I got to a place where it was so tense because of my pride, and so I had to let that go and say, you know, I'm not going to engage in every opinion that I have. I'm not going to jump every time that I feel something needs to be corrected. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit that these things will be done over time. And like Pope St. John Paul II, that uh, allow that peacefulness and that humility to be the transforming agent rather than merely my words. And so as Pope St. Clement told us, we will share in those promised gifts if our mind is fixed on God through faith, if we are diligent in seeking what is pleasing and acceptable to him, if we fulfill what is according to his blameless will and follow the way of truth, casting away from ourselves all that is unholy. Today's show is brought to you by Marissa Alvarez Pasos and all of those who support the show through Patreon go over to outside the walls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside The Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.